Hey everyone, you're now part of the B2B Power Hour and I'm your host, Nicholas Dickett. I'm Morgan Smith. We help sales professionals power up their sales skills from first touch to revenue, one hour at a time. Join us for weekly live shows and interviews with industry experts breaking down what works and what doesn't in the remote sales era. Now, on to today's episode. Hello, everybody. So welcome to the Enterprise of Social B2B Power Hour, taken over by me. Today, I'm all alone. Nick and Morgan are traveling for business today, and their flights got rearranged and stuff. So I'm very excited to take this over. So it's actually up to me to do all the fun stuff today. So if you like this better, like shout out, we can make this work even more fun. Everybody, can I get a comment or two in the chat to see if we're actually live and cooking? And then I'm going to call in the guests. Anybody live there? Ah, I've got a like at least on LinkedIn from the other side. That's great. So, yes, I'm alive. I'm live and alive. Fantastic. So, today we have a really fun topic to talk about. We're going to talk about, of course, the enterprise of social, about social. But we've got Nick and Pete today to discuss the role of evangelist. And I think this is a very exciting conversation. I'm already calling them in so we can get this going. Hi, Pete. Hey there. Hi, Nick. How's it going? Living the dream. You are? Okay. <laughs> That's fantastic. Are you both guys in Boston? Yeah, so I'm in Boston. Pete is not in Boston. He is from Boston, though. I'm a Boston boy. Boston will always be home, but I actually live in Charleston, South Carolina. All right. Okay, that's a very nice place as well. But if you were to answer both and say, yes, we're in Boston, you can actually meet them, meet both Nick and Morgan, who should be here as well on the session, listening to us through their phones while traveling. Nevertheless, so let's kick this off. A very exciting topic talking about the role of evangelists at Alice. And everybody on the chat, feel free to ask any questions that you would like to discuss with our fantastic guest today. And I will start with you, Pete. Could you give a quick introduction to yourself? And then I've got a myriad amount of questions for you. Yeah, and Brian, I can see your comment. I still root for the Red Sox, although they're not very good this year. So yeah, as mentioned, Pete Lorenko, I currently head up marketing for Alice. I'm not going to describe Alice here. I just want to be mindful of time, but we can do that later if needed. Uh, I've spent 15 plus years doing B2B marketing across both large publicly traded enterprise size organizations and a couple startups. Uh, and I grew up working for a small business. My parents owned a couple of restaurants. So I grew up working for very small owned businesses as well. And I'm happy to talk about that restaurant world at another time if needed. I'll keep my introduction to there and then we can jump into, I'm sure the thousand questions you'll have for me, but Nick can go too. Sounds great. And Nick, how about yourself? If anybody doesn't know Nick, what's the intro to you? So uh, for me, I am a traditional field marketer and ABM marketer. I currently do evangelism and customer marketing for Alice. I have never done either which Pete tells me I'm doing a good job. I don't know if that's true or not, but 
Like for me, you know, it's, I have just been a user of gifting platforms for seven years. I was a previous Alice customer before I went here. And fun fact, I have actually known Pete for a few years. I brought him into Alice and he actually was a mentor of mine prior to Alice. Wow, what a collaboration. That's a lot of fun stories there I can hear already. That's fun. So Pete, you came first to Alice. And when you came to Alice, before you at all started thinking about Nick as your next colleague, how did the idea of having an evangelist at Alice came to play at all? Yeah, so uh, Nick brought me. Yeah, but were you working at Alice at that time? Oh, no, no, no. Nick. Yeah, Nick was working at Alice. He brought me here. To answer your question, the reason why we felt strongly in the purpose of evangelism, it's kind of an interesting journey, truthfully. And uh, we'll see where this journey takes us. But I was never a big proponent of LinkedIn. And Nick knows this. We've had endless conversations about this. So when I joined Alice, you know, what I did believe in was I did believe that LinkedIn could be an effective channel to reach B2B sales and marketing professionals, which is the target ICP for Alice. But in terms of my own personal like social media presence and, and comfortability, I guess you could say with it, I was very much probably like a lot of people uncomfortable with it, didn't know what to post, didn't post that often, just didn't really see the value or way too much imposter syndrome. So I was just like, yeah, that's not for me. It's hard to change my opinion and why I became very bullish on the concept was two things. One, at a time with Alice where we had already had success with a few employees like Nick. We had Sarah Pion, shout out to Sarah, another fantastic marketer, Nina Butler, quite a few employees and marketers in particular who already had really strong social engagement. And Alice had already previously had some experiences with what I would call probably like social takeover days. So they would have the company post like an update or maybe an upcoming event or news, and we'd see really high engagement. And we'd measure that engagement either in terms of like registrations or just number of impressions and likes and comments. And we're measuring exactly those things. So fast forward, like kind of what really triggered this was we had an event that we call Universe. For us, we've done it for a couple of years now, product agnostic event, with the goal really being how do we help teach B2B sales and marketing professionals about both their five to nine and nine to five passion so you can deliver experiences that are more personal, relevant, and thoughtful to your prospects or your customer. And one of the strategies that we wanted to take advantage of was using LinkedIn as a promotional strategy. So we ran this, I'll say, I think it was probably Nick and Sarah and a few others, but we came up with this idea of like, hey, let's leverage the internal employees to help promote the event. Sarah, I think, helped create like a copy or template that the team could use. And then we were all encouraged to, in essence, customize it. And our kind of running joke was like, we'll use URLs, like tracking URLs, and we'll start to evaluate who's driving, like in essence, the, what we, how we were measuring it was the number of registrations. So if, Laura, you clicked Nick's post and you ended up registering for the event, we'd be able to track and see that using Nick's special unique link in his post. And I remember, Nick can probably vouch for this, I was like, I'll be lucky to get one person. My goal was no joke for the audience, one. That was my goal. and. I remember writing the post, posted it. I think I got like 10,000 impressions, like well over 100, like did way better than I thought for someone who rarely posts. That's really nice. And for a long time, I think we did this for about a month. Like we were tracking, Nick, that sounds about right, I think. And I ended up at one point, I was leading the entire team. 
which to this day still like makes no sense. I was giving Nick shit. So again, if you know Nick, like Nick's well known on LinkedIn, has done an amazing job building a following, talking about field marketing and other topics. And I was beating Nick and I'm now Jazz and Nick, like I'm giving Nick shit on the side, texting him like, dude. And I ended up losing. So Nick totally ended up winning. Uh, I'll just cut to the chase. Nick ended up winning the most. I, I don't think that shocks most people. But the thing that really made me a believer was one, even though like you're not necessarily have a huge following or huge engagement, people are watching. They're potentially consuming, even if they're not liking or commenting, et cetera, they could very well be consuming your, your content. Coupled with, well, I didn't necessarily drive the most registrations. My visitor to landing page conversion rate was 80%. And I don't know about all of you, but I've never seen a campaign where I've had an 80% visitor to conversion rate or registration conversion rate, which by the way, was like double Nick's. Uh, so that's the thing I still razz him for to this day. Uh, long story short, what led to at least my belief in the value of evangelism, besides other company examples like Gong or Refine Labs, there's some obvious examples. But from a personal kind of experience perspective, our experience with universe promotion, me never really doing LinkedIn before and then starting to join the rest of the team and promoting and sharing stuff tied to Alice and seeing the impact that's having on the business, that made me a very early believer, if you will. And then, you know, fast forward, we started doing registration form tracking. So we started asking, like, how did you hear about us? And what really sold me on it was like seeing leads that Nick got for inbound leads coming in saying Nick Bennett on LinkedIn or LinkedIn or Pete, like VP of marketing. That was like the last straw, if you will, in a good way of like, all right, we should invest in this. And then fortunately for us, we have Nick. So having someone who has a well-known brand, well-known with B2B marketers and sellers, uh, that was just a no-brainer. So that's Laura long-winded, but that was how we got to where we are. That's very interesting. And so did you then define a new role for Nick or how did you transition to that really? Yeah, I mean, Nick, do you, I don't want to like make this all about me. Do you want to? I've got many questions for you too. <laughs> yeah, and no, I could just, you know, it was something where I feel like we talked about what it could be. And obviously retention is incredibly important, especially, you know, Pete obviously understands that. And I remember him saying like, hey, are you interested in moving over to customer marketing and focusing on retention? And then adding this evangelism piece, because that was important to me. And I said, listen, like, this is what I want to do. I want to help be the face for the brand. I want to do the events. I want to do the podcast. We're seeing actual ROI. And Laura, I know you have your thing about self-reported attribution, which we can battle if you want. But I feel like we're seeing an immediate impact right there. And why not take advantage of it? And I feel like it kind of runs a really nice parallel between each other because of lot what that you're doing on the evangelism piece is also creating advocates and loyal fans on your customer base. And they all kind of run into each other. And so, I mean, I've posted about this on LinkedIn, but like, you know, running a G2 campaign and being able to drive an incredible amount of reviews in two days, partly because the message is coming from someone that hopefully they resonate with, that they see other content from. And I feel like it all plays into an amplification of the other channels that you're running. And so I remember Pete saying like, hey, like write down what you think an evangelist would do. And then what are the outcomes or KPIs or metrics that you think would kind of correlate with it? 
And so I wrote down, I still have the Excel spreadsheet and I wrote down two tabs, evangelism, how I see it, and then customer marketing, how I see it. And Pete took that and I, I remember because he went to leadership and they're with the, like the rest of the Alice leadership team and he proposed it and everyone thought it was a great idea. It just clicks. It makes sense. You know, we've kind of done that now for probably like three or four months or so. And I feel like, you know, we're in a good spot. Like we understand it. And obviously I feel like, again, retention is a big piece of it, but also, I mean, you see me creating content every day on LinkedIn. I have my podcast. I have additional things that I'm doing that hopefully resonate with you that you continually come inbound or you continually reach out and want to see a demo. And when you're a user of a product for so long and you understand the pain points that your ICP is going after, I hop on calls all the time, one to one, like marketer to marketer. And I demo the product myself because I know exactly what they're looking to achieve. And I feel like that also deepens the relationship. And Laura, I want to like anchor that last point. So the logic of having Nick help be an evangelist for Alice was a no brainer given two things. And I challenge any business if you're thinking about evangelism for your business. Fortunately for us, going after that B2B sales and marketing professional, Nick as an evangelist for us made total sense. He's a well-known marketer. He spent his entire career in B2B marketing. He's built up credibility, rapport, and network with that audience for us. If you're in cybersecurity or healthcare or insurance, it does not mean you can't do the same thing. But if there's one lesson, at least I would strongly suggest, is try to find who that person is, either internally or externally, that you can partner with to be that voice for you. That fortunately for me was easy because we had Nick and that became like a no brainer selling that value. Nick and I were already getting on calls and marketing teams already on a bunch of calls. So like, we're just really extending what we were already doing. But I need to stress the point that when I was consuming the idea of Nick, like doing customer marketing and having evangelism be a component of that, because in essence, that's sort of tied to it anyway. Well, it made a lot more sense when Nick adds that potential candidate for that was an obvious, just natural connection. Yeah. So it's kind of a marketer for marketers. And plus, you are going to do bits and pieces of marketing anyway, because that's your role. That's very interesting. I remember my previous experience from Red Hat. We used to, well, it's an open source software, and we used to do very similar stuff, but in totally different means as well. You used to do that in communities, other places as well. And it's only the technical people who are out and talking to the technical people. Well, unfortunately, they're not marketers or they're measured on something else. <laughs> but still, the value of evangelist is crazy important because people need to look up to somebody as well in their own role. Yeah. And it doesn't mean like I can't post about Alice or Laura, you could or whomever else in the company that wants to. But you're, what you just said, I've worked in, in high tech, so I can probably speak to this and not feel totally uncomfortable, but IT network manager or CSO, chief security officer or CIO, CTO, they're not going to necessarily put a lot of stock into what I have to say. And rightfully so. I don't. I'm not a peer of theirs. I'm not an IT networking expert or security expert. Like I said, those individuals don't necessarily care what he has to say, but it doesn't mean that everyone in your organization shouldn't feel comfortable still going online, engaging, sharing content, sharing learnings. I think why Nick was a natural fit 
was Nick's already having those conversations. So he's already talking to customers. He's learning. He's sharing his expertise or his learnings about gifting and stuff that he's done at Alice. Conversely, he's hearing through those conversations with prospects and customers, like what's going well or what isn't. And then not to speak for him, he'll get into this, but he can then share those learnings online. So it was just that natural synergy. But like, because I'm not a CTO, my ability to do that online would be, be just be challenged. So if your goal is like going after CTOs and you're working at a company that has a CTO, like I would strongly encourage you to work with that individual and try to equip that person to do that type of engagement online themselves. If they're not comfortable with it, then find someone like Nick that can help that person offline, whether that's helping write the content or at least brainstorm the ideas. And But that's how I would, at least at a high level, start to approach this. It was just kind of good fortune for us that our ICP is X and Nick and really marketing as a whole, we represent that ICP. So. Yeah, that's a very, very valid point. And yeah, to find an evangelist that matches what, who is it that you're selling to? So people can relate to those people. A lot of companies are talking about, oh, we want to do a lot of social selling and so on. How do we do that? And then they only end up pushing that into sales or only into marketing. So who is going to do that in the company? Because you're out there on LinkedIn. But usually people would like to hear from similar people that they actually will be buying the solution from. So yeah, Nick, you're in a very nice situation, a marketer selling to marketers. But for more IT professions, that's a very good point, Pete. Sorry, I was just going to add to that as well. I mean, before Alice, I actually worked for a company that marketed and sold to engineers and developers. And I realized very quickly, this was not the industry for me. But one, they don't like being marketed to or being sold to. But two, like our, and I feel like an evangelist could also be looked at as a subject matter expert, which you could have multiple people within the company that do that. But for us at the time, it was our CTO. He was huge on Twitter. And like, he was very techie within that like developer space. And like people would line up at events to meet him and like want to buy specifically because of that. So I think it's important to find out, like, again, like Pete said, you know, who that person is within the company. It's actually quite a good question, Brian. Very good and timely. We can take on the question over to us right now. So what Brian is asking, what do you think the biggest gap is between what people are doing with evangelism today and what they should be doing? Ooh, I think the biggest gap that people are doing, like, I'll give you a good example. So when I, even like a year ago, like when I thought of an evangelist, I thought of people like Sangram from Terminus, Ethan Butte, like Brand Fishkin, Randy from Uberflip, like all these executives within the company. And if you're an executive, a founder, someone in the C-suite, you should be evangelizing on behalf of the company. Like that's your job, partly. But I wanted to help pave the path for what it looks like for an IC or, you know, someone that is more looked at as a pair to people to pave the path for what that looks like. And so it's someone that has been in the trenches and is still in the trenches of using a platform like this. Like executives aren't in the trenches as much as people like myself. And now you're seeing this role become more and more apparent. Like you got Nick Capozzi out there. You've got Jen. Like you've got more and more people that are taking this role on. And I love to see it because it's creating more of a brand awareness, one, for the product, but two, you're setting yourself up for long-term success. Like, let's be honest, like everything that you're doing and the gaps in like, you know, evangelizing for the product and driving pipeline through events, content, things like that. Like no one's going to work 
for the company that they work for forever. Like my mom's worked for one company for like 44 years. And I've had like seven jobs in like the last 10 years. Not always my fault though. So lots of acquisitions. But like, it's important to know that you're, you know, you're setting yourself, I guess you're future-proofing yourself to a certain degree where like, I don't want to apply to a job ever again. Like, I'll just follow Pete wherever he goes. And like, hopefully he thinks I've done a good enough job to do that. Very cool. I wrote three things down. Uh, I have to like process it or I can get out of control. But the first I think goes back to what I said, which is around like the audience connection and reach. So me trying to present and talk to a CIO would just be a waste of time. So first and foremost, when it comes to issues with evangelism, what you should be doing, make sure like you're identifying who that subject matter expert is within your company or outside your company that you can partner with to help deliver that evangelism on your behalf and make sure that that's connected with your audience. Why that's important is there's a balance between the value you're delivering and self-promotion. And this is a very fine line. I don't think every post should be, and if you know, it's like Nick doesn't do this, Alice, we try not to do it. We try to ensure that, I don't know if there's like an exact formula. I'm sure somebody has an opinion out there, but our goal is to try to be as helpful to B2B sales and marketing professionals as we can be with 95% of our posts, whether that's from an employee or whether from our brand. There's a time and a place for self-promotion, whether that's your event or an upcoming offer or swag giveaway or whatever it might be. But if that's all you're doing, people are going to tune out because it's just, it's all about me, 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 me versus like, how can I help you? So I do think there's a balance between the value you're delivering. That's why having like that subject matter expert who can talk about like lessons or learnings from being in the trenches around cybersecurity or network engineering or whatever the topic is, DevOps. But then when it makes sense promoting your upcoming event or this live event or whatever it might be, if you can find that right balance, I think you'll drive the outcomes that you're looking for. And then last but not least is the way you deliver that content. And I think, uh, and I hope I don't mispronounce her last name, but Amanda Natividad, I think posted something about this that I, I want to reinforce this idea of like no-click content where you're trying to provide that value in feed versus like I post a LinkedIn or a Twitter post and it makes you leave that platform that you're on and then go to a landing page and then you have to fill out a form to get access to something, that's just a bad user experience, right? LinkedIn doesn't want you leaving LinkedIn. Twitter doesn't want you. I don't think Twitter wants you leaving Twitter, although I don't know Twitter as well. I love the concept that Amanda kind of conceptualized, if you will, in regards to the phenomena, if you will, that we're seeing with social media. But that idea of providing that value in feed, keeping people on the platform, the way you can do that is for example, put all the value in the text post itself or produce a video that's a certain length that I can watch in feed versus it takes me off of LinkedIn and brings me to a landing page. So Brian, like hopefully it helps. That's, I think it's those three components that you can't lose sight of those three things and if delivered effectively uh, will enable you to drive better outcomes. I was just going to add one additional thing to that. Like, I think it's important to know too that like, when you're creating content organically and, you know, for me, like, you know, I don't mention Alice a ton. However, like on a 90 day rolling window, I get about 11,000 to 14,000 people that view my profile on a regular basis. And what do you think the first thing that they're going to do when they click your profile? They're going to see where you work and they're going to say, oh, what does this company Alice do? Uh, Nick doesn't talk about them at all. 
Um, they'll be like, that's weird. He's not self-promotional around that. Um, although some people think I'm self-promotional around other stuff, that's another story. But they're going to click that. They're going to go to the website. Hopefully the website and the POV and the messaging and the narrative is strong enough to get them to be like, oh, you know what? I use a competitor or I am actually looking to do gifting, but I really like the way that Alice approaches this. Inbound demo secured. How did you hear about us, Nick? And so when I post, on average, I'll drive 50 to 100,000 views per post. Sometimes a little less, sometimes more, depending on what I'm talking about, if it's broader or more niche. But like, it's an amplification, again, to the other channels that you're running, to the events that you're doing, to the content that you're creating, the blog posts, the videos, the podcast, if your company has one. It all, it all plays into the, the bigger circle. Very nice. Thank you, Nick and Pete, for the answer. You actually touched upon another topic, Nick, expectations and measurement. So a role, there is a lot of fluff around it. You, we speak about, oh, you talk about yourself or you talk about the brand and all that kind of stuff is, does not feel to be measurable at all. What are you measured upon, Nick? <laughs> I think it's important to honestly measure. Like, so I look at pipeline, there's a bunch of different things, but it's like, you know, pipeline is a big piece of it. And how do you look at that through, I mean, the majority is self-reported attribution. And I think it's also just, I feel like it's part that, but also part from like the retention perspective, part around like NPS, like it's bigger because my role isn't just focused on like the evangelist piece. I think it plays into like the larger aspect of it too. But I think, you know, a pipeline piece is a good thing to see, or like, what does conversions look like if I'm driving to a specific offer? One thing that we look at is like, how many prospecting customer calls am I joining on a weekly basis? Um, and as a marketer, I feel like that's a, I don't want to say a secret weapon, but like, how often do you see marketers joining like sales calls or even customer calls and sharing their own expertise of how they're using the product or platform? And I feel like that goes a long way, one, to support retention but also to support the acquisition of new customers as well. I'm going to simplify and complicate at the same time for you, Laura. Um, we have core line metrics in marketing that everyone, including Nick's role, line into. So things such as the number of sales meetings that we're producing, that's a top of the funnel metric. We don't care about leads. Leads don't matter if they don't turn into a qualified sales meeting. So let's call it qualified sales meeting. The percentage of those that convert to qualified pipeline, for us, we have a definition of what that is. And then obviously the percent of qualified pipeline that is closed one. Those are the top line marketing metrics that we are measured on. The same metrics tied to sales and tied to the larger corporate or company level goals. We also have retention level goals that Nick is referencing. Those are top line. Those don't change. Nick's evangelism customer marketing role are ultimately measured on those things. But then there are secondary metrics, which is where I think we all get a little confused and hung up on. Now for like Nick's role and also for our growth marketing role that helps drive a lot of our paid and organic company posts or our paid search efforts, we look at really three things. We look at company engagement metrics on platforms like LinkedIn. So that's things like number of impressions on each post, number of mentions, uh, fortunately for us, Alice does pretty well there at times. And then number of followers and the growth of followers. If we're seeing success with employee engagement and company engagement, et cetera, our expectation 
is those social media level company engagements should increase. And the way we measure that is we just use the in-platform. I think someone's asking about tools or somebody will, but we're just using the LinkedIn admin tools. We're not investing in social sprout or tools like that for now. We're a smaller company, so we're just mindful of our tech spend. We're also using self-report attribution. So to tie back to some of those larger company goals, when we're doing intentional, like we're trying to take over LinkedIn or like what you might call LinkedIn or takeover day, or when we have certain employees posting about certain things, we are hoping to see self-report attribution reference LinkedIn or reference an individual post or reference a company post. So we are using self-report attribution mainly for that as a later stage kind of validation of some of this work. And then last but not least, but probably the simplest way to evaluate evangelism is content consumption, right? So if you come back to the idea that evangelism is really about trying to provide value to your defined audience, typically one way we try to do that is, again, like videos or we'll tease you like a short video of a bigger like webinar post or something, our webinar asset we have. So we're measuring like what percentage of that social audience is transferring in essence from that initial post to our state of gifting report or our 45 minute webinar where in feed we tease three minutes of it. So looking at that content consumption, time on page, time viewed, and we're seeing the referral URLs of LinkedIn or ads or whatever it is, Laura, it's those combination of secondary measures. Now I want to be clear, like we are not over engineering those secondary metrics on the team because you can very easily say like your sole job is to get more LinkedIn followers. And there's a lot of ways that you can kind of engineer the model. At the end of the day, if we're not driving the company level metrics that matter, us getting 20,000 LinkedIn followers, who cares? So I want to be clear, like there's company level goals that Nick and myself and everyone is tied to. And we measure those things very aggressively. And we're constantly looking at those things. And then these secondary metrics are typically tied to individual plays that we're doing. And we're just keeping an eye on those things. We don't like over scrutinize them, but we definitely keep an eye on like company page growth, impressions, like if Nick and Pete post, how many shared impressions did those get? Things like that. So hopefully that helps. I really like that part of having a very clear structure. What is it that we're measuring the whole revenue team, as you might call it, marketing and sales and all of those metrics, and then digging into some people might call it more vanity metrics that can be tweaked. But if those vanity metrics are moving the needle in the overall performance of what we're measuring, then it's absolutely perfect. And that Nick, yourself, we see a lot of you out there on LinkedIn, but at the same time, it's just a piece of the full puzzle in the whole revenue generation team. And one of the questions besides the tools was also, how do you enable the whole team to do it? Well, you're pretty good at it and you've got some employees to do it, but is it the job of an evangelist to empower the rest and inspire to do and to work together? Or is it somebody else that do it? So I think it's a good point. And so we've been thinking about like employee advocacy because we've always had employees create content on their own. And I remember this was a couple months ago, our HR person, Laura, she reached out and said, hey, would you be open to like leading a company session on like personal branding 101, like create like kind of like an employee advocacy, like not a f- real program, but just something, you know, ad hoc. And so myself and Alexine Mudwar, who is one of our, you know, our sales reps, who is very well known on LinkedIn on the sales side of it, we actually partnered together 
And we held a company session on just like, hey, LinkedIn 101, here's what you're going to experience, mental barriers, how do you overcome those mental barriers as well? And then here are things that you can like think about. And then we actually created a Slack channel internally. And we use that as a place to help employees brainstorm, like get people to want to create content. And it doesn't have to be about Alice. We don't want self-promotional content. We want people to talk about the experiences, the programs that they're running, the lessons that they're learning, things like that, because it will get people to realize that like, hey, so-and-so is adding value to my feed every single day. And when we held that initial session, I was, I was joking with Alexine and I was like, yeah, you know, I bet you like 20 people show up to this. And we had like over a hundred people actually like register and want to show up to it. And obviously that numbers dropped off from like the content creation aspect of it. We've had some people leave the company that were heavy content creators as well. But if you don't have someone that runs like an employee advocacy program, and I'm not saying that you have to go out and buy tools or anything like that. But like, I think starting with, an evangelist to someone that is already kind of creating content on social, like just having them be a resource for additional people within the company is important because lots of people will be like, I just don't know where to begin. Like, what do I talk about? Like, no one wants to listen to me. I'm just an engineer or something like that. But like the amount of value that you can bring talking about your experiences is either one, going to help someone else achieve similar success or two, prevent someone from failing if you talk about a failure that you had. And I don't think that people and employees of companies don't talk about failures enough on LinkedIn because I think it's important. Like, and I talk about this, like things that I've tried that maybe didn't work. Hopefully I can help someone else not make that same failure. Maybe they can course correct and tweak it. And obviously if it's a failure, what are the lessons learned that you can then hopefully take forward that will help you succeed next time? Very nice. I love that. And it's kind of from the side of it, you might think, oh, this is Nick. He's running the show and everybody's just following him. And it's not, (laughs) it's everybody. It's a company effort. Like I'm just, I'm loud and I'm noisy. Like I can create a lot of content, but there's like real magic that happens like behind the scenes with everyone, like every single department. And like, they are more impactful probably than me. I just don't care what people think of me. And I just bring it to social media. Yeah, I think, Laura, like one tip I'd offer, and I think there's a comment on like, how do you get started? How do you create your voice? Like when I started Alice, I think I had like 2000 followers on LinkedIn. I never posted. I still don't post as regularly as Nick would like me to. One of the things that I've taken advantage of is there's certain people in my peer-to-peer group that if I have an idea or something I think could be useful, like I bounce those ideas off people before I post it. So like, fortunately for me, I have Nick. So I'll be like, hey, Nick, what do you think of this? And like, can you like help me riff on it? Nick does the same thing with me. Like Nick will send me a concept. Nick, I don't want to like steal your thunder, Nick, but like Nick will send me ideas and be like, hey, what do you think of this? And I mean, there's been times where like, I feel like I've written Nick's post for him and then it crushes it. I'm like, Nick, you should give me credit for that. But he doesn't, he should. But for what it's worth, like if you're struggling and you're not sure, Let's just say you're a marketer trying to reach other marketers, or you're, again, you're a network engineer trying to reach other network engineers. Find a peer, bounce ideas and things that you think could be useful or helpful for somebody else. And if that person can help you value or work through it, and the two of you agree that, then odds are somebody else is going to find value. I think the biggest mindset 
shift that I had to make to get more comfortable doing this is even one person finding value in it, whether it's Charlie or Brian or somebody commenting or sending me a direct DM. If I got one direct DM, that made it. Now, Nick might laugh at one direct DM, but like for me, that's all the credibility I need. And like when you think back to the metrics and how do you know things are working, comments. Like in the early days, positive reinforced comments will be like, this is great. Or like, this was super helpful, thanks. That's it. That's all you need. Like, I don't need to go and stand up in front of a board or my boss and say, this isn't working. I just need to take certain comments and be like, hey, these audience people that we care about are finding value in this. We're going to keep doing it. We're going to use this as a content delivery mechanism. It's a short, simple way to prove some validity. Now, it doesn't change your corporate goals and the things you need to hit. But when I talk about those secondary metrics, like even one comment, one direct message, one self-reported lead back to you, that's all it takes to start to show you like there's positive momentum here and keep going. And it's no different than like you're on a diet and you're trying to lose weight. Like for me, if I start seeing that scale go in the positive way, or if I see like my body fat index going down based on like the little pinching test, which is not comfortable by the way, then like that's the positive reinforcement to keep going and just find that whether it's a comment again if you're trying to start tap into a peer i like i can't stress that enough if i didn't have nick and nina and sarah like those three for me i probably would have never changed my behavior but find somebody who you're trying to reach and basically write for them and then bounce those things off to people if you're not sure and if they validate for you go just go don't overthink it just go for it love that Nick, do you have anything to add to it? No, I mean, I, I think that was really good. I think it's important to like, just understand that, you know, you don't want to come across as like self-promotional, like, you know, pitching your product every single day or even a couple of years ago, like I would always just, whenever there was a webinar, I would hit share. I would never add anything to it. But like, there's projects and things that you're working on that someone is going to get value of. And I mean, I'm a similar way. Like if I can help one person a day, I feel like I've done my job and like the amounts of DMs that I get that are like, I have been following your content for so long now. Thank you so much. Like I appreciate everything that you're giving away for free. And at the end of the day, like, could I create some type of digital product and sell it? Like probably, but like, Honestly, I just have so much other stuff going on that like it's not even top of mind for me. And like, you know, you have like these Patreon groups and things like that. And who knows? It makes sense. But like, I just want to be able to give things away for free. And and some people have told me like you're giving away too much for free. And that when if you ever do want to charge for something like you're going to like have nothing to give away at that point. But I don't have any plans to do that. So for me, like if I can just continue to share the lessons and like, I try to do a mixture. I try to do customer marketing stuff. I try to still do field marketing and ABM from time to time. And then I do broader marketing and I do broader just general life stuff too. Very cool. I really like that approach. And you've mentioned one term as well that I wanted to touch upon too. Can you work account-based as an evangelist as well? 100%. Absolutely. I mean, if you Tell think- me more. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, it's very similar. It's, you know, you're connected, at least for me, like being a failed marketer and the majority of people that we sell into are demand gen marketers, failed marketers, ABM and event people. Like I'm connected to all those people already through LinkedIn and like 
they've been seeing my content for a while. And so I would see that as more of a like one-to-many approach. And so I think you're taking that one-to-many through the organic content creation that you're seeing. And then you're adding in like, great, like you have the events that you're maybe doing that are higher touch, like VIP for like that one-to-one aspect of it. And then you've got like the one to few for maybe you're going into like the SaaS or tech side of it, or maybe you're going into fintech or like legal tech or whatever it is. Like you have the different verticals and segments that fall within those field marketers and everyone. And so I think that you can absolutely do it, but I don't think it's like, again, it's, it's just, it's one channel that is hopefully then if you have a strategy in place that will be amplified by everything else. I think it comes down to, we've been talking a lot about evangelism conceptually as like me or Nick posting on social media on behalf of our employer. But now take the concept of evangelism and how do you take advantage of that network and that reach that that evangelist is helping drive? So like the way I would translate your question, Laura, would be, for example, if Nick is trying to find out the common concerns that people have around gifting, Nick could do a survey on LinkedIn and see like what are the common concerns that people raise. And then the drive like the ABM component is Nick could then say like, hey, I just ran this survey to the LinkedIn community. I got 500 B2B sales and marketing responses with these common issues. I've put together this video that talks through those issues and I'm now sending it to you as a marketer at Target Account X because I thought you might find this useful. So now like you're taking the concept of evangelism and a lot of the work that Nick's already doing, reaching that audience, delivering value to the audience. And now it's how do you convert that to Again, the idea of how do I deliver value? How do I distribute that value via Nick as an evangelist or whoever that evangelist is for you? But then how do I continue that path? And again, I ripped that off. So I don't know if that's really good or not. I have to sit with it more. But I think conceptually, like that's what I would challenge Nick on. And that's, by the way, that's how our relationship works is like I veto posts for Nick. I vetoed ideas or I've helped vet it. But it's really conversations like this. We'll be like, hey, we've got this research report or this thing that we're trying to do. Like, how do we take advantage of these 30 people that you might know? Or like, how can we reach this account, Nick? Maybe we can do this type of survey or something. We get results and then you can do a conversational ad via LinkedIn or direct message LinkedIn DM to that person that you know at account X. That's the way I think about it. But obviously it helps when that person or that resource for you has already started to develop that network. So then we can find ways to tap into that network to get insights, then deliver those insights back to those target accounts. I really love the idea because it really ties together Nick as one person into the whole strategy of generating more pipeline, measuring what we're all measured from the top level measurements between sales and marketing. That's a very, very good idea. And that's how it shows also the collaboration between the two, because then you move out from the evangelist role, become more a marketer. But at the same time, by targeting them like that, you're actually helping sales to get better quality leads. If those are converting better, oh, wow. Okay, let's do more of those niche ideas as well. Love that. Yeah, again, like I look at Nick as a voice for our customer. Like that's almost like voice of customer. I just, that phrase, I know means a lot of things. But if you view your evangelist as in essence, like your voice of the customer, then it's how do you translate the insights that that person brings? Because in essence, they're representing your buyer. And like that example is just one way I would translate how I could drive that voice of customer kind of mindset to like a target account EBM type of strategy. There's a thousand others I'm sure I could riff on with you if you gave me enough time, but 
that's one that I've been thinking about in real time anyway. So I quickly came to mind. <laughs> very, very good idea. Love that. People who are online and listening to us, feel free to post any questions. We've got 10 minutes left. So we're going to pick up at least one or two questions from the audience if you've got any for either Pete or Nick. And while we're waiting for questions, I have another question for you, Pete. You mentioned the concept you speak about the ABC players when we spoke about preparing for this one as well. Do you remember that one? Uh, you might have to refresh me. I'm... <laughs> yeah, you were speaking more of how do you place the right people in the right roles for the given tasks as well. Oh, uh, yes, yes, yes. I think that was very interesting. Yeah, so for me, it's really a combination of a few factors. I think one, Nick kind of touched on an element of it earlier. It's when I joined Alice, Nick was originally in a very focused ABM field marketing role at Alice, um, something that obviously given his background, he was well suited for. But when I started assessing the needs of the business based on like those corporate goals and things that we had to do, like what Nick mentioned of me coming to him and starting to talk about like, hey, would you be interested in helping drive more focus on retention? The idea was driven by the company level goals. Like when I come to how do I find the right people for the right roles, starting with the internal people I already have, let me sit down with Nick and I kind of call it like a grow plan. It's like, what are Nick's goals in his career? What are like, realistically, where is he today in terms of skills and talent and capabilities, if you will? What are the opportunities for him to grow or step into that role? And then what is his willingness? Right? Like those other three things could all line up. Like I thought Nick would be great for that type of role. But if Nick's not willing to do customer marketing, then... There's no point. So the way I've, I try to think about talent alignment, if you will, if you want to phrase this talent alignment, is I try to think of things in like, and I think this is a true framework, so I'm probably hacking it, but it's like apply the grow framework to your talent evaluations and your conversations with your team members. Understand what they're looking for, realistically, what you need, what are the opportunities for them or the team, and then what is their willingness to do that? And my goal is to try to align people. So like in Nick's case, he was excited about that. He pitched the idea of expand the world, include evangelism, and the two married well. The other thing I like to believe in is like, I don't necessarily hold myself to I have to find an A player for everything. I don't want to get into too much of this, but I just look at roles as what is like mission critical to hitting a, an objective or what are nice to haves. And my goal is to align like A plus top level talent with those must haves. And I will figure out ways to solve for that, whether that's outsourcing, consulting. I will find other resource mechanisms necessary, even a lower tier, less, I don't want to say lower tier, that's the wrong word, but like less experience is okay for less like mission critical type roles. So I hate phrasing like ABC. I probably shouldn't use that phrase because it like diminishes the value of roles. What I really try to think about it as there's mission critical, you put your best people on mission critical things. And then less critical to the business in a sense, I can get away with having like less experience. But the beauty of that approach is then I can let those people grow and then they can grow into the more mission critical roles over time. So that's how I think about it and that's how I align to it. And the way I try to find the talent alignment, if you will, with the people you have is based on like that grow framework. So hope that helps. That's really beautiful. And I love to hear both the empathy from you, but also all that alignment that you're putting it back into. Now we're speaking about Nick, but all in all, like all the people in the team, what are your goals? Let's try to align that so you can thrive and everybody can see how much Nick loves his role out in the public. 
because it possibly aligns with what he wants to achieve as well. And he's supported and works like that. But if that clashes a little bit, then there are a lot of things that, that might not go just as wished for both parties. By the way, I've screwed up a lot. So I'm happy to talk about like when Nick talks about failures, it's been a lot of failures to get to like that this point, even with Nick and I's relationship, working relationship. So don't like beat yourself up. This is a journey. We're all improving. No one's a perfect leader. No one's a perfect marketer or manager, whatever your aspirations are. But I do like the idea of like, what are your mission critical things? What do your people want to do and, and their willingness to do those things and try to align your best talent or your best new hires to those like mission critical. My goal is to create an evangelist program at Alice. I know I need someone that has a strong familiarity with LinkedIn and ideally some type of existing network because that's going to make evangelism for a company like Alice exponentially easier. So Nick, no brainer. Conversely though, like if I wasn't putting as much stock in that, I might not need someone of Nick's caliber. And that's just the way I try to position all those things but a lot of scripts along the way i've made a lot of mistakes i have probably not led people perfect all the time either but my journey today is really the result of a lot of poor decisions along the way <laughs> thank you for sharing we pick up the last question out of the list of all of them and i think nick it might be just for you what can be a good start to evangelism for sales professionals i think it's more so just putting your thoughts out there. Like one of the first things, and I've been posting on LinkedIn for two and a half years now, I used to report to someone, Kyle Coleman, who again, very well-known person on LinkedIn when I worked for Clary. Um, he actually put out the challenge to me when we were at, we were in Laguna Beach for a revenue kickoff. And he was like, hey, you should talk about failed marketing. Like no one talks about it on this platform. He's just like, just you have so many stories and ways that you can, See field marketing is much more than an event planner. Like, how does it play into the larger like revenue team? And so I was like, oh yeah, like for me, like LinkedIn was always just like I was scrolling. Like that's all it was. I wasn't writing anything. I wasn't commenting on people's stuff. I would hit share when I was told to hit share, and that was about it. And um, I took this challenge and I, I doubled down on talking about field marketing for like. It was actually probably about eight months of talking about it on a very consistent basis, like just dove in, just put it all out there. And I think like that would be one of the first things that I would recommend. Like I feel like a couple of years ago, it was only 1% of LinkedIn created content. And I read something recently that said by the end of 2022, about three to 4% of the users on LinkedIn will create some type of content, whether it's on a consistent basis or not, like they'll create content. Like that's like a 200, 300% growth increase over a two year increase. And so I think just sharing your thoughts around specific things that you're working on, trying to add value. I feel like it's already a crowded space, but if you can differentiate in the way that you add value and talk about personal experiences, those are the types of posts that I actually enjoy a lot more versus like the fluffy, like, I ate pizza for lunch today. Here's a selfie of myself. And like, I personally post stuff like that from time to time because it's hard to deliver value. Like when you're posting five times a week and two times a day, that's 10 posts. Like to deliver 10 posts that are consistently adding value every single time, like it's hard. And so like, I throw like random stuff in there from time to time, but for the majority, I try to add some type of value. If I could offer to Laura, like, I think that's all good. If you're looking for like a simple formula to start, find five people that you're trying to like ultimately sell to, 
engage with them. If they're posting, even if they haven't posted in a year. So let's just say you're trying to sell the P hasn't posted in two months. True. I haven't posted on LinkedIn in like two months. But find like two or three recent posts. Start to engage with them. Like them, maybe comment on them. I'm going to see that, especially if it's older because I'm not posting. And then take the comments. Look at the discussion threads. Convert that into your own post. Because now you're not reinventing topics and things to talk about. You're finding things that are relevant to that buyer, that audience that you're trying to reach. And now you're putting your spin or your insight. Now, I would try to balance value with self-promotion. So I wouldn't necessarily suggest, although you can at times, like, hey, let's talk about X, Y, and Z. And here's how you know company X can help solve it. You could do that. I would probably just balance that. But more so, like, just put your spin, your thoughts, your opinion on that discussion, that topic. You can even credit that initial post for inspiration. I am a big fan of when people do that. That's an easy place to start. 100% easy place to start. And I would, I think that's a really well played out approach. And then here's a bonus. If people start engaging with your stuff and offering like tips, now you can actually slide in someone's DMs and like share the comments or the feedback back to the original poster who inspired your post. You're welcome. <laughs> Close the loop. That's how you get to Pete. <laughs> That would work on me, but I would love Yeah, that. there you go. Somebody has to try this out, though. So I wonder who will be the first one. Any final words before we wrap up, guys? No, I mean, I, I don't have any. I think it was a lot of fun. You know, I'm always interested in learning and in exploring different things. So, you know, if you do have questions, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. I try to, to reply to every DM I can. Unless you're going to pitch slap me, then do not message me. Yeah, I mean, Nick's a great LinkedIn resource. So I mean, start with him. But no, please, like, if there's any way I can help, I've been on my own journey in the last year or two on LinkedIn. So I, I feel like I have firsthand seen some of the good and bad. And I've been able to, very small audience compared to Nick's, but I've been able to double connections. And I've had a lot of great opportunities to result from it, et cetera. So I'm happy to share anything. Hopefully this helped. But and, you know, if you want to post about pizza, post about pizza. I like pizza, but, you know, just be yourself. I think if there's any lesson learned from this, don't try to fit a norm. Don't try to, like, be someone that you're not. Put your spin on things. Share your learnings. Share failures. Share, you know, just be willing to put yourself out there, but know that someone might dispute you and someone might not agree with you. But dispute is what creates engagement. You just need to have those types of acceptance when you put yourself out there. But you know, be confident in yourself, put yourself out there, see where it goes. You got nothing to lose. But PS, my last point, you also don't need to. Nick will argue me this, though his face is blue and mine's blue. But if you're not comfortable, that's okay too. I don't post every week. I don't post every day. I don't post every month. That doesn't mean I don't see the value in it. That doesn't mean your boss or your leader doesn't see the value in it. But if you're not comfortable, that is okay. There are people like Nick that can be that voice for your company or for you or can help you. Uh, but don't feel like this is a mandate either. For some reason, I feel like everyone thinks you have to do it now. No, less is more. And quality matters way more than just posting for the sake of posting. I love that. I think it's the perfect wrap up. Thank you so much for everybody listening in today. Pete, Nick, it was a true pleasure having you on the show today. And Nick and Morgan, I hope you enjoy your laughter. <laughs> See you another time. Thank you. Thanks all. Bye, everybody. Did you love today's episode? Subscribe now to have our three weekly episodes waiting for you. And if you really like our content, please leave a five-star review. But if you're not ready to give us a review, check out another episode and follow us on LinkedIn.
We'd love to win you over. See you next time. See you next time.